Transit Voices with Ben Whitaker. Welcome to Transit Voices. And this month we got Miguel Velasquez and Chris Mahood from Rochester RTS. They have taken their agency all the way from basic ticketing through mobile ticketing, barcodes, account-based ticketing, cards, capping, cash digitization, and now expanding into regional and recognizing since COVID that transit agencies are not just about running 40-foot buses, but about providing mobility solutions to the entire community. So many stories and so many things to take away for other agencies. Let's get started with Transit Voices. Now, let's get talking. Hello and welcome to Transit Voices. And this week we have two guests on with us. We have the new CEO of Rochester RTS, Miguel Velasquez. Absolutely fantastic to have you on. And also Chris Mahood the director of IT at RTS, who's been absolutely central to many of the new upgrades that have been going on at RTS, not least of which the total fare collection system upgrade and many of the new features and service offerings that have gone out. Miguel, delighted to have you on today. It'd be fantastic if you could give us a bit of an intro to yourself and and your activities at RTS uh, to kick us off. Well, thank you, Ben. It's great to be here. I've been with RTS here in Rochester, New York for 23 years now, filling a number of different positions, started in the IT department as a network administrator and moved there to being the director of IT, then being the chief information officer, then the chief operating officer, which gave me a lot of experience with the operations, of course, of the organization. And then as of January, the board gave me the opportunity to run the organization as the CEO. So it's been a incredible run and still having a lot of fun here. That is absolutely a phenomenal story to be so many years at the same agency and to know so much of it internally is 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 a great foundation for a, a leadership role. You must know pretty much everybody in the agency now. I wish I I would know more people by name, but we're a pretty big organization, over a thousand employees. I I try to remember as many of them as I can because they're all great employees, great people. It's a great company. But yes, I do know a fair amount of them. Chris, do you want to give a quick intro to yourself and your activities here? Sure. So I'm Chris Mahad and I'm the director of, of IT for RTS. I've been here just over 12 years at this point. Started here as a systems administrator took some of our infrastructure and and started as my first kind of initiative to virtualize. That was a big thing that was ongoing in the industry at that point is virtualizing infrastructure, which then obviously has ramped into many of the the cloud solutions and software as a service that we see today. And it was really a good disruptor in that IT space. And as you had mentioned, yeah, I've, I've been kind of following mobile ticketing and some of the fair products since uh, just around 2012. And we've been working through to implement the platform from Masabi here. And we've been live for just coming up on three years here. So it's been really exciting. It's been a great opportunity. Learned quite a bit about our usage of fares in our organization, but also a lot about our customers and how they actually interact with our fare system and different fair offerings that we provide. I find it interesting that you followed that kind of story of virtualization historically, it was all about having your own servers in your own server farm in the basement of usually two buildings, having a team that does your own operating system and security updates, looking after all the connectivity, and gradually you know, recognizing that the care and feeding at all those servers is not necessarily a critical thing for you to have 
special, unique skills on when really running a transit system is not about running service the whole time. It's quite a big step we find psychologically for people to start letting go of the fact that running the best transit service is the key for what people are there for and not necessarily replicating all of that underlying kind of business infrastructure if you can virtualize. But the movement that you have taken in the procurement of fare collection has gone even a step further. And that's not just to have something hosted off-site in the cloud and hosted by the vendor, the provider, who in theory is supposed to be much closer to how to upgrade and how to look after IT systems, but also to move onto a shared platform. So this is where instead of having a bespoke system absolutely tailored from a design which began at the agency level, you've kind of moved onto a platform which has lots of other tenants who are on the same software and getting all the same updates as a lot of those other other players, granted with your, your own configuration choices. How's it been for you as an agency to move not only to virtualize, but to a shared platform instead of bespoke? Chris is the expert in this. I just say from a very high level, I mean, that is definitely the way to go because it provides a level of flexibility that otherwise you wouldn't know, you wouldn't have, especially when there are so many other systems, as you say, that you need to, you find yourself, you need to integrate with in order to provide the customer with the expectations and requirements that customers have these days and the different services that have come to be part of the transit world that we didn't have maybe five, 10 years ago. So having that shared platform and hosted services, it's been critical for us. It's been a really a game changer in, in a way as we keep innovating and adding more services to what we consider ourselves being a mobility provider now, rather than just a transportation uh, company. From a fair perspective, having the fair piece of it and being able to integrate it with things like bike sharing or scooter sharing or even car sharing, if that's something that we move to, again, it's critical. Plus the, all the other benefits that you mentioned, just from a purely IT perspective, of, we're not necessarily in the business of maintaining hardware. We're in the business of providing good transportation or, or mobility services for our community. But Chris definitely is the expert on, on how technically how that has been beneficial for us. I think one of the things you brought up there about extra integrations really is part of that story over the past 10 years that when people bought a fair collection system 15 years ago, it was kind of self-contained. And it didn't have to connect to CAD AVL and it didn't connect to MDTs and everything else. And as things get more interconnected, it's it's just far more loose ends that need to be tied up with every delivery. But uh, I mean, the story of, of of what you've initially deployed is, I think mobile ticketing is what you called it and what you were following, Chris. Do you want to tell us a bit more about the journey from just a mobile ticketing system up to reimagining and then redeploying to something much wider that connects to everything? It really has been, I guess, as I, I mentioned earlier, learning about this in Let's call it 2012. That was most deliveries at that point were just a simple barcode. That was the the new type of ticketing that was available. And that was where agencies were, were progressing towards. When we started looking at this as an option for our organization, the big thing was to really provide better simplicity for our customers. And as we started going down the route of looking at the, the project and, and implementation with Masabi, it became pretty clear pretty quickly the solution for us to achieve simplicity was really that account-based solution that we've now been utilizing for quite a while. I'd say on top of that, what we've found is through utilizing the actual fare capping platform, 
and having those integrations with our ticket vending machines, the, the mobile app, cash digitization that we've We've also been able to reach a, a broader audience of our riders, and we've seen a pretty high level of adoption on the mobile app, which when we were we were going through the process of this, we had heard numbers of 10, 12, 13, 14% was a good number. And within six months, we had already achieved over 17% and continue to have those numbers rise. So having multiple options sometimes can be complex for the organization to infer to your own customers to have that level of success, but keeping our fare set simple. I mean, we've had the, our same base fare for, I'm going to say 27-ish years. Miguel, I, I'll turn it to you. I think that was a, a great number that we've heard in the past. Is It's a long time to have our, our base fare that same amount and to allow our customers to better plan for how they're going to use our system with the same base fare and transition to a whole new platform made it pretty simple. But I mean, capping is different to buying from pre-buying from a base fare where somebody has to plan in advance if they're yep. going to make the use of a daily pass or a weekly pass. When did you launch capping and, and have you had much public feedback on, on the experience of it? We launched our fare capping on uh, July 20th of 2020. And the fare capping was really designed to help meet a barrier of a challenge or a barrier that our customers faced, which was at the time, our monthly pass that we were selling, which was the pre-buy and you could, that was our only mechanism to do a monthly pass, which was $56. And that $56 pass, I had to have $56 in hand to be able to purchase that and make potentially decisions on how I was going to use that $56. Is it for transportation? Is it for potentially food or other means for life necessity. Fair capping has enabled us to soften that for our customers, giving them always the best value with those day pass, which is our $3, and then allowing them to ramp up. So it's not a gate opening with $56. It allows them to ramp up to that and also slowly chew that down over, over the month of use. But also it may not coincide with the first of the month and the last of the month. It may be the 15th of the month and through the, the next month, it's a rolling basis. And it really has helped us uh, provide better communication around providing the best value to our customer, providing the best opportunity to get the fare that they need and the fare that is most accommodating to the, their usage. Well, I think one of the things we've seen in, in uh, travel patterns, especially after COVID, is people are not doing so much of a fixed kind of timetable anymore. There are people who work a few days a week in one place, and their plans change. And I can see very much for flexible working and, 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 and different working and shift patterns. It might be sometimes hard to predict in advance if you're going to actually use this route for a whole of a month or the whole of a week. And, and, and capping means you, you don't end up taking the wrong decision at the beginning of the month, not knowing what your plans are going to be. And you, you, you avoid that anger, that frustration that you have, you've paid too much or not bought the monthly pass that you should have done. You get that aha moment that you feel good about using more transit because you are going to get that best fare every time without having to play the game at the beginning of your travel period. It's a transition. Change for individuals is difficult sometimes. And we really spend a lot of time communicating and, and, and providing hands-on education and training opportunities with our customers right at the, the transit center in front of our ticket vending machines and our customer service desk, just helping 
allay any of those concerns or those points of anxiety where am I buying the right fare for what I need? And just helping that education piece is kind of like a almost the, the grassroots effort of just if I hear positive interaction with one individual, then it can cascade. Um, that was one of the ways that we were able to help our customers really do a, a transition there with, with a new technology. Inside the transit geek world, we do talk about a thing like account-based ticketing, which has zero meaning to any passenger. They don't care whether the, the value is on the card or in the validator or in the back office. That's just not important. The thing that really affects the public is capping, is best fare. It's this is not going to bite you for doing it in the wrong order or not having that much money up front. I mean, it, it gets rid of that equity issue around the best fares only being available for the rich people, which is absolutely the wrong way around. And it, it's still how the best fares in London are still for people who buy an annual pass, which is like $6,000, which is crazy. Even TFL in London, they don't have capping to monthlies. That's just something their system doesn't do. So RTS has kind of jumped ahead and you now do have capping to monthlies and you're not far from New York and, and in New York, they're getting fair collection system upgrades on a, a very large budget with a, a big, a big program. But uh, I mean, how, how do you feel you're, you're kind of keeping up with the, the expectations being set by, by big cities like New York and Chicago and th- their sort of fair collection when you, when you then reflect on what you're delivering in, in Rochester? I think we're right up there, if not ahead of many of them. Then you're absolutely right. It's it's not only the equity piece of this, but let's stop making transit something that is a hardship or you know it's just difficult or there's challenges or barriers to using transit. We we want to make it as easy as possible, as challenge free as possible, uh, and inviting. And so fair capping just provides one more of those, hey, don't worry about it. Use public transit. There's just one less thing you have to worry about. Pay as you go. And if you reach the $56 before the end of the month, you don't have to worry about it. If you don't, you didn't spend all that everything that you used. And if you, if you think about how many other services provide something like that, I don't think you can think of many, if any other at all, where you have that level of flexibility on how to make a decision about how you spend every penny. I think that's great that you're given the loyal customer pricing, whether you commit the money at the beginning or or at the end. In terms of inclusion and encouraging more people onto transit, are there any programs that you're running which are kind of trying to work either with employers or organizations in the community to, to get them into transit more? We do have a number of initiatives. We're constantly partnering with uh, local entities on how we can better serve them, trying to have that discretionary rider Try public transit again, demographics in Rochester in particular, who uses transit may be different from other cities like New York City, of course. We have a number of people, a high percentage of our riders are below the poverty level. And so we have to be very aware of that. Serve them fell, make sure that the need of those who really rely on public transit are met. That's a key priority for us. But yes, we always work on what are the different partnerships that we have across the area with different entities and how do we attract that discretionary rider is, is also very important. We have a very good relationship and contract with the city school district. As an example, we have recently partnered with our University of Rochester, the biggest employer here uh, locally right now, 
We have partnered with them so that many of their employees, uh, they also run the biggest local uh, healthcare system or, or hospital so that many of their employers can use public transit or use public transit as an alternative to driving their car and having to pay for parking, which is not cheap, of course. So providing those options for their employers as part of this program. We've had a standing relationship with the local community college as well, where we provide a universal pass so that it's not only to go to school, but they have access to the entire system. So integrating them more with the rest of the community. So those are some of the partnerships that we focus on, we've worked on, we're very proud of, and we intend to keep growing those as well. It's interesting. One of our customers in the UK was using their college pass program, which had a similar universal travel entitlement to it as well, to do other travel. And they were able to pause the universal travel entitlement on anybody's passes that weren't keeping their attendance record at college. And so wow. all of the social and work and other, other benefit would disappear. And they found that people were coming back and hitting their attendance and completion targets to get their passes turned back on for the universal travel. And because of that, it went from two colleges to every college in the area wanted this because of those secondary benefits from having passes that they could turn on and off and issue digitally. It wasn't that they had to take a flash pass away from someone. They just in the back office, turn it on, turn it off, pause it and connect that to the attendance record. We've simplified the usage of that by leveraging their employee IDs, their student IDs, their what, whatever it may be, so that it doesn't become a secondary item that they have to keep on themselves. It's just an item that is standardized to their employment now be, or, or as a student becomes an item that they can utilize for transportation I mean, that, that's that's a fantastic thing because that also not only removes an extra item for the passenger to carry, but it removes all of that pass issuing, posting, personalizing cost from the agency. That's a, a huge benefit from account-based ticketing, token-based ticketing, and multi-token is it's all this what we call bring your own ticket. Is Whether somebody's bringing their own ticket as a cell phone or a student pass or an employee badge or a senior's or a veteran's card. It just means you don't have that big bill to issue so many smart cards. We're currently in process of, of integrating a New York State social service to help those that already have an electronic benefits card for things such as groceries and, and, and other necessities that you would, you would have and integrating that with our fair collection system, thus then allowing them to just provide transit funds directly into that individual's card, turning on and off the functionality of that, and then allowing them to use that same card, not having to make an extra trip to the local office to get a, a transportation pass or have one mailed to them. Specifically, when I reference the mail site, it's mailing in the postal service, which can take multiple days for them to receive it. It allows them point in time transportation opportunities versus scheduling future needs out. It, it allows them to, to really take it on demand. Uh, that does sound fantastic, uh, especially when it's helping people to get back to work and and uh, part of those social programs. And I think COVID really threw into sharp relief the role of public transit as not only an, uh, providing essential workers' ability to get to work and live their lives. I'd be interested to know how you have reframed the role of public transport coming out of COVID as opposed to 
pre-COVID, which was all about maximize ridership? That's a good question. We live in a, in a new reality post-COVID. You know, we really have to, in many ways, go back to the basics. We all know that public transit was one of the industries that was hit the hardest as part of the pandemic in terms of not only people not being able to use transit for a while, but then changing working habits and now uh, working from home or hybrid work. It's just different. And so how do you now uh, make up for some of that? What we learned during the pandemic is that essential workers and being an essential service for some people, uh, especially the disadvantaged, it's critical. So making sure that the service is there is reliable, is convenient, is safe for everybody, but certainly for those who depend on public transit what we call it around here, going back to the basics, so to speak, and make sure that those things are in place. And with that, of course, as you provide a service that has that basic formula of, of safety, reliability, convenience, keeps attracting other possible customers as well. It sounds from everything we've, we've spoken about today that there have been a number of new integrations, new partners, product offerings to support the community. Are these all things that kind of have been planned out before you began your process in putting in mobile ticketing and new account-based ticketing, or these, in some cases, adaptive and something that you were able to just bolt on and use the flexibility of features that had been put into a shared platform sort of latently for other customers that you were then able to say, yep, that makes sense for us. We're going to use that with the school. We're going to use that with this paratransit, et cetera. I can speak a little bit to it. Chris can give you the details, but generally speaking, it's been more adaptive. I mean, it's something we wanted to do. We saw the necessity of having this type of technology, this type of service available for customers, for sure. We did see the advantages that this would provide for some of our offerings and some of the specific partnerships that we had. Namely, of course, like I just mentioned, some of the partnerships with the local a higher institution, educational institutions, as well as school district. How would this technology, a new fair technology, would be beneficial for those partnerships? But we were committed. We wanted to do it. We wanted to do it just as a way of moving forward. We think of ourselves as being pretty innovative and, and always, always going forward. Chris has, has done a great job in really keeping us at the cutting edge of technology, especially when it comes to fair payments. We started planning for this system around the same time that we were also undertaking a significant initiative to revamp and redevelop our entire system network, which we completed just a few years ago. And, and this project that we completed for our fair system dovetailed right into that exact same go live timeframe. The biggest thing that we've we were trying to do is be more flexible with the way we utilize the, the system for to be more adaptive to our, our needs to serve our customers within the community. And then at the same time, choosing a system that was more on the, the shared platform side allows us to leverage ideas and capabilities that other, other transit agencies and other needs that have been developed that we might not even have realized at this point in time, but down the, you know, near in the near future or, or further out future, we can catapult and, and utilize to our own advantage without having to, again, customize and redevelop and try to re 
implement and as a as a bolt-on and utilize it as a as a, a platform system with modules, we can do that. So yeah, I would say it's definitely adaptive. It's been really reflexive as well for us to provide our own input and see some of that come out in other ways that it can be utilized, especially with like this, the, the microtransit or the our on-demand system and some of the other interfaces with, let's say, transit. The transit app, again, that, that integration, I think, is a great use of one of the best-in-class journey planners in terms of giving people that access to multiple modes. You know, as you describe having that feedback in, I mean, Rochester has been a real hero customer for us. There have been a number of new features which you have been the first people to uh, deploy and, and get right. You've been able to not reinvent the wheel for all the things that are already been built, but then you were the hero customer to take a few of those new capabilities, like fair, fair capping and everything. And then once you had shown it working, other agencies were able to take those features and deploy them very quickly, knowing that they'd been debugged and first seen with Rochester RTS. So they didn't have to reinvent that wheel. But then we've seen other other features come the other way. I think things like um, the family account where, where one family stored value account can have several cards or accounts issued to mobile phones and plastic smart cards that different family members can use to travel around, all funded by one lead family member. Have you had any feedback from that being a useful thing for some groups? That one in particular, I, I, I vividly remember hearing that from a mom with two kids at the transit center and and saying just, you know, how she wished that she could do that and, and just have her kids utilize the different cards, but she could still fund them. That was the real world experience of, of hearing that directly from our customers. And, and as we're as we're rolling this out and saying, yeah, we, we needed to continue pushing and, and working on this. And, and it's it's really nice to be able to, to see that delivered for them. It's lovely to see new features go out and really, really get that usage. Both of you have been involved in so many new deliveries, not only on technology, but also in real transit provision changing over the years. But your challenge and the challenge for all of us is to avoid spending too much public money and effort from our, you know, the employees in the agency on hype, on things which are everybody says are going to be really exciting, but then after spending all the time and money on it, they don't really move the needle for the for the passengers. Have both of you had the chance to kind of pick your kind of current boondoggle, your your white elephant, your 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 wasteful hyped thing that everybody is running around saying this is amazing and you're just not convinced? What would you pick as, as your boondoggle of the moment that you, you think is not the thing you want to do? We talked a lot about this one. There's a lot of stuff that's changing in transportation today. There's a lot of opportunity. There's a, a number of pieces of technology and there's beneficial tenants to all of them. It's a boondoggle as well as an underdog, but there's a lot of effort and a lot of attention being provided to AI at this point. I see a lot of opportunity to leverage this for good, proving out what actually can support an organization's needs and serving its 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 customers and riders. There's some easy quick wins around the customer service side. There's also some quick wins around using it to help answer informational questions. And there's a lot of air and time that's been spent on it being the end all be all to solve every problem in transportation. But that's a difficult thing to do, especially with so much of the human elements still in play for delivering transportation today. We've seen 
AI in many different areas of autonomy for vehicles, and that's in development. We've seen it for answering questions. We've seen it for many different facets of, of transportation, but it's it's also just getting a significant, somewhat overhype, I think, too, on the it being the end-all solution for every problem with transportation. Okay. So you're, you're picking it both as a boondoggle and an underdog. I would say, yeah. yeah. It can also be an underdog because it, there are many ways that depending on the organization's needs, it could be a significant value add to providing some informative answers and, and automation to uh, a way the customer needs information delivered to them. And do you have a, a particular organization or person you think we should uh, be speaking to next on one of our shows that you, you think will have a particularly uh, interesting uh, view on, 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 on transit in the future? Yeah, I think, you know, our partners down the throughway here, Albany, CDTA, I think they are a pretty innovative organization as we are. We find ourselves doing similar things to what they're doing, or they're doing similar things to what we are doing in terms of innovation and new services. So they may have, you know, a pretty interesting uh, perspective on some of the topics we've talked here today or discussed here today. They would be a great organization to speak to. Fantastic. Thank you. Are there any final things you would, you would say to other agencies who are uh, going through upgrade cycles, who are getting ready for the new post-COVID world before we sign off? I would just repeat that it's. I think the transit industry is going through a revolution in a way, a lot of new different services and systems. I think we are going through a transformation as an industry where we don't think of ourselves just as a 40-foot bus going up and down the street anymore. And so how do we become that next type of organization or industry that serves the customer's expectations? I would encourage companies like Wasabi and others, now we need to get to a point where we know, just like many other industries, know who their customers are. That is one area that the anonymity of our customers is still a big issue knowing exactly who our customers are, who our loyal customers are, where do they get on, where do they get off. That is like the holy grail of transit is knowing exactly how our customers use our system specifically. And I know there's been different attempts to do that by people trying to track cell phones and different methods like that. But I think that would be a key aspect that is not talked about much in our industry, but knowing who our customers are, it's a uh, in my view, a critical aspect of where we need to be as an industry. I'd certainly hope that things like account-based ticketing and tokens moving around the system means that you do get aggregated origin destination information a lot more. I know that most customers only tap on, but it's certainly one of those areas where expert systems can use the various tap-on points of the same token to infer the exit points that would match up for those journeys. And there are a number of companies... And it's, it's in the expert system, which is near to AI, that uh, these systems come from. So without having to use Bluetooth or other trackers, you can uh, get a pretty good picture of origin destination just based on boarding information. This is uh, some of the, uh, the clever stuff you can do with IT. Chris, did you also have an underdog that you wanted to pick out? I was going to talk about what you had just mentioned, too, is that or that whole origin and destination piece is definitely... It's a foundational need that we have in transportation to better understand our most loyal customer and, and also the unique patterns that some individuals might be taking to within our systems to better learn those patterns and potential new destinations. 
I think the other area that I did want to mention as really an underdog side of it would be integrations as a whole. In many points, they 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 come secondary or they're they're later on in these in many of these implementation projects. And keeping those forefront to the needs is is really paramount to helping making the customer's experience sim- simplistic. We talked about having a singular app and singular data shares between different entities that is crucial to delivering something that's successful and, and easy for a customer to, to be educated on and also utilize from a successful standpoint. So integrations is your underdog. Is that basically making sure you have APIs, libraries, integration points available from your, your main platforms that, that uh, underpin your service? Almost every transit agency is different in the way that they utilize software and they utilize systems from, from different vendors and how they deliver those pieces of technology to their customers. Having an arena where, where vendors are very open to sharing that information between one another in helping solve those data integration needs for different agencies is crucial to pushing the envelope further for simplifying the experience for for the end user. Doing an integration and making it resilient and supporting it over a long time is is a a load of effort. uh, One of the things we really like about a, a shared platform approach is some of those other vendors, once you've done an integration with a shared platform, that integration is then available for lots of customers and doesn't necessarily have to be fully paid and maintained by a single customer and hopefully uh, a few different shared platforms in the in the market will have those into more integrations off the shelf and available so that they don't have a, a multi-month kind of build up before people can make use of them okay that's fantastic uh thank you so much miguel and chris for coming on to speak to us today i wish you all the best of luck in your regional expansion and uh, in in rolling into the post-COVID world of transport provision and mobility provision way beyond just running the big buses. Thank you so much and look forward to seeing you hopefully at the next APTA events. Thank you, Ben. Really appreciate you having us here. Yes, thank you, Ben, very much. Wow. Thank you so much to Chris and Miguel for joining us this week. Several things really stuck out for me there. Not only the fact that they'd really embraced virtualization of moving digital, but also dematerializing so much of the physical infrastructure for their agency into partners, into convenience stores, into reusing other people's cards, their ID cards, benefits cards, and moving to more distribution through other partners in the community to get people into transit. Also, their revelations on Boondoggle and Underdog, AI on both sides, seeing that there's some things it can do really well that they see in the automation of uh, customer service, but making sure we don't try to do everything with it. And I fully agree with Chris, the underdog of integrations, making sure that it's a first-class citizen in any project to make sure that you can link to other partners because no IT system stands alone in the modern age like it used to. Do join us next month for more Transit Voices and subscribe to make sure you don't miss a single new episode. Thanks very much and we'll speak to you all soon. You've listened to Transit Voices, the podcast by transit nerds for transit nerds. Don't forget to subscribe to Transit Voices to keep up with the latest additions on your favorite podcast platform.